Good morning, Jag Jungle. Today is January 6th, 2021. Happy New Year. Finally, we're out of that wretched year 2020. Hopefully, we never go back to somewhere like that again. Anyways, I'm Matthew Smith, and I'm going to give you today or this week's announcements. So final exams will take on a different form this year. Instead, marking period one and marking period two will both count as 50% of the semester grade instead of the normal, like, 40-40-20. Uh, uh, each department can determine if they will have an end-of-the-quarter task slash assessment slash project, but it will count towards the marking period two grade. Classes taught by multiple teachers should be in alignment with each other regarding the end-of-quarter task slash assessment slash project. Advanced placement teachers may still give an authentic assessment as preparation for the spring AP exams, but the scores have to count towards marking period two. It won't be uh, like a separate thing entirely, as it usually is. Department chairs will communicate with their respective departments to answer any questions. January 15th, staff will have a full day of professional development, and Monday, the 18th, school will be closed in observance of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. That means... An extra long weekend for students. Classes will follow the normal block schedule on both Tuesday the 14th and Tuesday the 19th. The PTSA has announced this year's Founders Day Award recipients. Recipients include Decision Day 2020 put on by the APHS Counseling Department for the Outstanding Program Award and APHS Senior Mackenzie Lada for Outstanding Students or Students. The recipients will be recognized on February 24th for their contribution to the Allen Park School community. The latest edition of the Cranial Chronicle gave students a chance to creatively process their experiences in lockdown, whether real or imagined. We all know these have been disappointing times for many people, and students are among the most affected. But like many of them reflect in their written work, an experience such as this one can contain many valuable lessons. It teaches us to work through difficult times, but process them in a healthy way. It teaches us that real strength and beauty and hope are born out of disappointments, sometimes massive ones. Some pieces are funny, some are sad, some are poignant, but the work as a whole gives us a little glimpse into this experience from a student perspective. Even though you are a student, having another perspective may be relieving. Please click the link below to see the Cranial Chronicle. All boys interested in trying out for basketball this season should attend one of the meetings set up by the APHS boys basketball coaching staff for important information. All meetings will be held Monday, January 11th at 3.30 and will explain the tryout process and expectations for the season. Please contact Coach Victor for more information. That was your announcements for today, January, 1st, January 6th, 2021. And I hope you guys have a fantastic week and a fantastic start to this hopefully fantastic new year. Thank you, Matthew. Next up on the agenda, we have Emma Compton with this week's interesting historical fact. Hello, it's Emma Compton, and I'm going to be telling you about the fun, or in this case, interesting, not so much fun this week, parts of history. Most history classes focus mainly on military history, wars, and politics, and can leave out a lot of the really cool people and events that have shaped our world. So, in honor of the end of the train wreck that was 2020, 
I figured I'd talk a little about another year that was without a doubt horrible, and started what was one of the worst periods to be alive in. Now, how horrible a year is, is generally a subjective determination. What happens to make a year good or bad is a personal thing. There are, of course, outside factors that can swing how people feel about a year one way or another. Like, economic prosperity or a natural disaster generally changes a lot of people's minds on whether they like a year or not. But the year 536 is consistently rated the worst year in human history by historians across the world. Now, it's a little shocking that a year we aren't taught much about takes the cake for the worst year. This means that it has to be worse than the plague that wiped out a third of Europe, both world wars, and the Spanish flu pandemic that infected about a third of the world, just 500 million people, and killed 50 million people. But 536 AD was really, really bad, and gave a new meaning to the name the Dark Ages. The main thing that happened was some fog, which seems like a small thing to make a year the worst ever, but this wasn't just any fog. This fog covered Europe, the Middle East, and some of Asia, it almost completely blacked out the sun for 18 months. According to Procopios, a Byzantine historian, the sun gave forth its light without brightness, like the moon during this whole year. Now, I'm no scientist, and science is not my favorite subject by far, no offense to the science department, but the sun is really important to everyday life, especially in 536 AD. Because the world was based on agriculture at this point, a lack of sun would, and nearly did, destroy most crops, and the food source that, again, the world relied on. This caused widespread famine and starvation, and a lot of death across the world. The sun isn't just good for food, though. It provides warmth. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to live without modern heating technology in a regular December, let alone one with temperatures about 36 degrees lower than usual. Along with the cold and starvation, the lack of crops led to economic stagnation in Europe that just got worse with the first bubonic plague in 541. So everyone that was alive in 536 and 541 got dealt one of the worst hands I've ever seen. But telling you the facts about this year is really nothing compared to the accounts of the people that actually lived it. So I'm going to read some first-hand accounts of 536. First, we have Procopios, the historian that I mentioned earlier, who recorded that men were free neither from war, nor pestilence, nor any other thing leading to death. Which sounds absolutely terrifying. Several records from Ireland detail a, quote, failure of bread from the years 536 to 539, so three years without one of the main staples of food. And Cassiodorus, a Roman politician, wrote that we marvel to see no shadows of our bodies at noon. Other accounts describe the sun as a bluish color and that the seasons were all jumbled together. Corroborating evidence from China describes snowfall in the summer months. At first, though, these accounts weren't taken seriously and were written off as a bunch of people imagining the end of the world. 
but with some evidence about volcanic eruptions and some science that is really cool and exciting and makes very little sense to me. Again, no offense to the science department. The records from 536 were finally taken seriously. According to tree ring studies done in the 90s, there was reportedly a volcanic eruption in 536 that was probably around North America. This was backed up by chemical traces of a volcanic eruption and ice cores in Greenland and Antarctica. So the best theory that historians and scientists have to explain the mysterious and dangerous fog is a massive volcanic eruption that radically changed the climate across the world. With the evidence from tree rings and ice cores and several other eruptions around this time, it looks really likely that a volcano caused the fog and the subsequent nightmare that was 536. 2020 and 536 are, of course, different. We haven't experienced crop failure or widespread famine, and going through a year like 2020 is undoubtedly a lot easier with the technology that we have now. But the two years are very similar. Tragedy, loss, growth, and in the end, I know it sounds cheesy, but human resilience. Yes, 2020 was really bad, and I'm sure we're all very thankful that it's over, but I hope I can speak for us all when I say that we learn that no matter how bleak things look, we can get through it. I would also like to include a gentle reminder that just because 2020 is over doesn't mean that the pandemic is, so please, please, please maintain proper social distancing, wear a mask, and follow other CDC guidelines to stay safe. Have a happy and safe 2021. Wow, Emma, thank you for making us feel really bad for complaining about 2020. Just remember, it could be worse. We have no sunlight and be starving to death for a year. Anyway, next on our agenda today is another Ray segment from Sophie Miller, as she discusses anti-Semitism in the past and its effect on our culture today. I'm your host, Sophie Miller. I'm a senior at APHS, and welcome to this segment of Ray, sponsored by Allen Park High School. Typically for Ray, we would discuss issues within our community concerning discrimination and inclusivity. But today, we will be discussing an issue that's often not mentioned in our community, but is still a huge problem on a global scale. I'm recording this segment on December 17, 2020 the second to last day before the end of Hanukkah. Hanukkah, for those who do not know, is the eight-day Jewish holiday that, quote, celebrates the rededication of the Temple of Jerusalem after it was retaken by the Maccabees, a group of Jewish warriors from the Greeks in the second century BCE, end quote. This year, it lasted from December 10th to December 18th. It's observed by lighting the nine candles of menorah, using the middle candle called the shamash placed above or below the rest of the candles to light the rest of the eight candles. Hanukkah is often overshadowed by the neighbor holiday of Christmas because both of them are celebrated in the same month. I wanted to bring some light to not only the Jewish holiday, but the community as well. 
As someone who is involved in the arts and has been for a very long time, many of my idols within the industry are part of the Jewish community. Julia Louise Dreyfus from Seinfeld MV, Diana Agron from Glee, and Daniel Day-Lewis from Lincoln. And although strides have been made in the past couple of decades for inclusivity, stereotypes and injustice still prevails for minorities everywhere. However, we will be focusing on the Jewish population today and how they are faced with modern anti-Semitism in the world. Specifically focusing on the Metro Detroit area, according to the Jewish News, Metro Detroit has the 26th largest Jewish community in America, with 9% identifying with Orthodox, 20% identifying with Conservative, 35% identifying with Reform, 2% identifying with Reconstructionist, 4% identifying with Jewish Humanist, and 31% identifying as just Jewish. This info is from late 2018, but can still be applied to today's standards. Based on that population, it would be assumed that today's media reflects how we have progressed and moved on as a society away from anti-Semitism. However, we have failed to do that. Now, before we dive into modern anti-Semitism, we must go back to original anti-Semitism, specifically blood libel. According to the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, the blood libel refers to a centuries-old false allegation that Jews murder Christians, especially Christian children, to use their blood for ritual purposes, such as an ingredient in the baking of Passover matzah, unleavened bread. Blood libel dates back to the Middle Ages and has persisted despite Jewish denials and often repudiations by the Catholic Church and many secular authorities. It has also led to mob violence and have occasionally led to decimation of entire Jewish communities. Blood libel exists because it paints Jewish people as dangerous predators who need to be taken care of to protect sweet, innocent white children. Which leads into the next topic, evil characters in media. When I say evil characters in media, I mean how even in the modern world, anti-Semitism still continues on and is shown to the general public, specifically children who will carry these depictions subconsciously for the rest of their lives through stereotypical physical appearances and personality traits. When it came to physical appearances, in old cartoons and caricatures, Jewish people were often depicted with exaggerated hook noses, beady eyes, and body hair, along with being drawn as birds due to the physical stereotype of the hook nose. These pictures were often depicted in Nazi and Soviet propaganda. Along with the drawn-out pictures, personality traits would be assigned to them, such as greed, thriftiness, and frugality. But it was not just Nazi and Soviet propaganda that depicted anti-Semitism. It was also new films coming into the industry, such as Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves is considerably blood libel due to the fact that the evil queen tries to kill Snow White and when her first attempt fails, she transforms into an evil-looking woman. Specifically, when she transforms, she is given an old appearance with a hooked nose, beady eyes, and is made to be untrustworthy and cruel. But the Snow White and Seven Dwarves was released in 1937. So things have to have changed, right? Things have had to gotten better for depictions in major motion pictures, specifically with that major company, Disney, right? Well, let's take a look at Mother Gothel from 2010's Tangled. Tangled is also blood libel. This is due to the fact that Mother Gothel kidnaps Rapunzel and uses her to drain her life force. And the fact that she has a hooked nose, curly hair, 
and falls into the stereotypical overbearing Jewish mother stereotype. And before anyone tries to defend Mother Gothel's physical and personality characteristics, yes, I understand it's not explicitly stated in the movie she is Jewish, but people can pick up on these physical and personality traits subconsciously. Also, the original sketches of Mother Gothel depicted her with straight hair and a straight nose. Literally Google Mother Gothel early sketches, click on images, and you can see an illustration of her development early on with those traits. That means the creators made the conscious choice to give her curly hair and a hooked nose to make her appear more evil. This repetitive pattern to make an antagonist appear more evil looking by giving them big hair, a hooked nose, beady eyes, and an untrustworthy personality, while the protagonist typically has straight hair, a button nose, eyes bright and full, and a personality that makes them easy to like, is becoming increasingly common and more dangerous by the day. Evil is not defined by looks. It is defined by personality. The moment we consciously realize and accept that needed change is the moment we can finally disassociate physical appearances and personality traits and stop portraying these harmful stereotypes both on a mass media and individual scale. Anti-Semitism is still a huge problem in modern times for Jewish people around the world. So please be kind this Hanukkah and start learning more about the dangerous and stereotypical depictions in media that can be harmful towards others. We should never limit one another due to an identity other than being human. Thank you for tuning in to today's segment. I'm sorry if I butchered any of the words. I really did try my best to um, look up the words and try to pronounce them as correctly as possible. But if I mispronounce something, I am really sorry. But um, thank you for tuning in. Once again, I'm Sophie Miller, and I hope you all have a happy holiday. See you next time. Thank you, Sophie, for some anti-Semitism education. I hope you all learned something about that in the year 536 from our episode today. And we'll be joining us again next week for more interesting information. Have a wonderful day, and as always, go Jags!